Hey everybody, welcome to Tavo Creative Leadership. We also do consulting for ministries and leaders, and we'll give you the truth as we see it. We'll let you know what we're hearing from the Lord, what we perceive, but we submit it to you as a sila. That means you get to pause and think of it, be a noble Berean, can evaluate, hear from God for yourself, and then either do it or not. You can contact me anytime at dfwleader at gmail.com, dfwleader at gmail.com. We're in the uh, DFW area and a couple of locations, Denton and McKinney, but have vehicle will travel and meet even Skype or FaceTime, subtype of, you know, over wherever you are in the globe, frankly, if the Lord allows. Anyway, we're going to try to put out a workbook with some of our comments about the spirit of prophecy from time to time. We're doing the Book of Ephesians on online fellowship. Also have its own website. It's called www.chiefapostlepaulbookofephesians.wordpress.com And we're going to make snail's pace because I want to do it thoroughly and go through some of the things that goes on in my mind about all this talk in the Christ fallen community and leadership through the years of dogma, of uh, you know, making it more diverse, more multicultural back in the day. You know, Apostle Paul, he was the sort of the maverick after the first 12 who came, mentored by Jesus. He was the one that had persecuted when his name was Saul, he had persecuted the church. So when, when Paul got, you know, miraculously a vision of Christ, got knocked off his high horse, as it were, he wanted to work and co-labor with the original 12 disciples of the first church, but he was turned away, gave the left foot of fellowship. I think he met for like two weeks with Barnabas and, and um, Peter. But it didn't work out, so he just left for 13, 14 years up in Damascus, Syria, and he parlayed, he visited, he lived amongst the Arabs. I like to point out in these days that when Paul came back and when you read all his writings, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul comes back, he has no anti-Arab, anti-anybody, anti-any racism and bias against all people. Instead, he writes, <clears throat> quoting from the book of Ephesians 2.14, about the power of Christ to get over differences, to build bridges in the land, in the natural and in the spiritual amongst races, have healing, no uh, hate speech, no anger. And it starts with the Christian community. In Ephesians 2.14 it says, He is our peace who's broken down every wall of partition to make us both one. Now Paul, Apostle Paul, was mainly sent to the Gentiles. And Apostle Peter was sent to the Jews. Well, those are the biggest factions in the first church amongst all the other kinds. So Paul had his hands full. He had to cut things out to make it dry to to the Gentiles because at least the Jews had all the law, the book of the law, the Torah, the first five books of the, you know, and they were used to responding to God. The Gentiles were everybody else who's not Jewish blood. That would make me, unless I have a Jewish relative or you. So Paul had to write it down and that's why he goes into in the, in the ins and outs of homes in his writings, I noticed, and relationships. And so we're going to talk about the relationships 
point of view in all of our doctrine for ministry because you know you can have business we want you to be really blessed we want you to be the apostle or the you know work planner but if you don't have a relationship with the Lord you're gonna miss it you're gonna miss out if you don't understand or like yourself which is a big relationship right there then you're gonna have bad self-talk poor self-talk and you'll attract the opposite of goodness and blessings I think we can look at our relationship theology starting with Genesis 1 2 and 3 and what happened in the garden was to accuse God in the garden to Adam and Eve the first divine appointments ever made the first relationships and we look at God and Adam he formed Adam chain of command to have someone to fellowship but he had compassion and love and respect for his firstborn human son Adam and he formed Eve and so then Eve comes along and they both go in the garden and when that fateful day comes when the old serpent comes down from trying to have mutiny up in heaven against God and stir up trouble the hornets are really it's stirring up the relationships of the angels who are happy with against God and you can read about that in the final closing book of Revelation chapter 12 7 through 11 that tells the whole story of why Jesus came what he came with and for and how and then how we can after all the time and trouble on this earth the trials of accusation and ministry leadership family divorce uh, accusation about poverty bullying I don't know big eye little you we can focus back on the Lamb of God and we need to and we can look and say that back then that mysterious birth of the tiny child who grew up to be sent in the earth suit of a Middle Easterner with Jewish blood background into the middle of the Pharisee big system that had morphed the law and warped it over time and made it so far from the presentation of the original law which was to help the relationships and get a picture of the Holy God meet your maker later and the Ten Commandments to keep society under control and how to please God but how not how to not hurt the relationships don't hurt or steal anybody's wife don't murder don't kill you know all those types of things you could read in Exodus 20 so we look at our perspective our perspective is going to be yes there's wonderful teaching and we want to pick out what's hay and throw out what's stubble you can do that with mine we advise that but we're going to also say what's going on with the fruit in ministry and Christianity and Christ following and leadership and lay and home that say they're believers in Jesus Christ and I've been around a long time in the must be born again community my father who's up with the Lord was a pastor a born again pastor a Baptist at the time but he wasn't dogmatic he wasn't cruel he wasn't biased and he was sort of laid back and he saw you know what I'm going to present the gospel the good news to all colors all races but you know what I'm not gonna force it down their throat that's their choice to hear God for themselves and that's my style that's my ministry I'll give you some thoughts and I'll present them like a tennis ball I call it the old tennis ball Selah that means I'll get the word of the Lord as I perceive it from God from hanging out with God in the Bible and then when the time is right I'll lob it out into the airwaves on a podcast on video and let you hear whoever listens that has ears to hear can perceive and discern and needs to what is really God in all that and then you can pick it apart 
I also want to say that our ministry is the word of the Lord is given to the leader in the Christian community, whether you have a fivefold office ministry listed in Ephesians 4, teacher, pastor, uh, evangelist, and so forth, prophet, or you're a business person, because they could have it as well, the same gifting, just use it through business. But if you're a lay, that's fine, because there are all kinds of people out there that have the call, the leadership call. They're in different stages of development. I remember those days. However, when we're talking to the Christians, I might say something pretty frank. I'll be honest, pretty strong. That's my style. Because you have to speak with more force these days. People are sort of dull of perception, dull of hearing. And that's what I found. That's what started this. However, if you're not, if you are listening and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you haven't felt led to, you know, yet to accept him as your savior, we invite you to do so. But you're invited to, to, to listen in. But make sure you know that if I say something really strong, it's to the Christian, the believer Christian. And yet you're invited and fully respected to tune in and listen and make your choices to pray about it with God. Anyway, God is so good, His mercy endures. And we just want to say we're christening, getting back into really more of a, a organiza, you know, a formal, we're not formal, believe me. We try to keep it low-key, really down-to-earth. But we're trying to be more consistent with our uh, presentation, up our upgrade a bit, a lot. And then pray about Real TV and just praying. Our need is donations, to have donations. And we need to have, uh, I had that assault, a workplace assault last year in 2018. And when we finally got our things back, they kept it hostage, the office. It was like a good old 60 minutes time. Really weird. I followed the police report. I wasn't scared because I had Holy Spirit, but when I tried to get my things, they locked the doors. They tried to come after me. The people owned the office as well as the person who tried to do the assault. So that all we thought we're getting our things back after about a month or two. But when I got them, our keyboard was broken and I'd had many car repairs and all these things. So here's what I want to say. When I say the word donate, don't donate. You don't donate unless God tells you and you hear the Holy Spirit. All I really want is huge, let's put it this way, huge prayer power. I need so many prayer warriors to cover me in prayer, to cover the bases. Some of you pray about home life. Some of you pray about joy. Some of you pray about protection. Some of you pray about funding or support. You know, people who send me out on the airwaves to upgrade our national, international, global call to get things going, to be able to travel as the evangelist and a new, uh, really brand new uh, modern Ram truck, Dodge Ram. And so we're so grateful for all the things, but you know what? We don't, we are sensitive. I'll be honest. We'd rather not have any income, even though we've needed it. We will rather not have income because of what goes on under the name of Christ following in ministry, leadership, too many places about money, money, money. It's about me, 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 mammon, mammon, mammon. And yes, it does take money. The Bible says that money answers all things. But we on this broadcast have purposely, and that's why it's small. And we've been content. Godly contentment is great gain, First Timothy 6, 6. That's my role model. All right. But we've been content because we've prayed for years. This has been years. Lord, you provide 
to take us to the people. That's how we do it. However, at this point, we've been through some ambushments, a couple of ambushments where people were not our friends or the ministry's friends, and we forgave them. But they still did this. So the idea is we want to take back what the devil has stole, and we need prayer power and mature emotionally real deal people find people to uphold us in prayer and if you do feel it is of the Lord to donate tithe talent gift certificate to guitar center or musician's friend to get the keyboard or a car or whatever we're open but like I said I've studied ministry and there is such a thing and this is a point there is such a thing right now in the earth, and I want you to evaluate what I say. You can look up 1 Samuel, first chapter, all right? We're talking about the Eli high priesthood, the compassion fatigued, overworked, dull of discerning, tolerate their sin and their assistant pastors, which was Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and, and then they accused people based on formula and stereotype like Eli did with the, the lone woman whose shoulders were heaving out of grief because she was persecuted. She had her husband's permission and blessing to be there, but she was there because of the persecution and the priest, the Eli high priesthood, middle-aged, seen it all, done it all many times before, had made a stereotype, a vicious stereotype where you accuse the lone woman. We've seen that, so we teach on it. All right, we respect all men. We respect you if you're a pastor, leader, male, female. We expect you whatever your identity or not and your call, but we are going to teach to the Christians, and I'm going to teach real respect out of a lot of this. You know, the Church of Ephesus had this wonderful six-page wonderful theology of many levels, family, spiritual, you know, heavenly places and perspective and all the different types of things that you can get out of it, wrestling not against flesh and blood, the whole armor of God, all these wonderful things, order in the home, submission, all those things, book of Ephesians 4, common doctrine, leader doctrine, amazing, the offices, which we all love. But if you look at what happened, something happened to the hero role model of that first church leadership because when you get to the book of Revelation chapter 2 and you start with the seven letters of open rebuke to the lampstand overseer pastor leader of the day the first one that's heavily rebuked really heavily is the church of Ephesus it says unless you change your ways unless you go back to your first love which is relationship with Jesus Christ the Savior unless you really love Jesus more than you do your ministry your business your time you're getting blessed your hard work I'm gonna remove you from your stand and I think we're there I know we're there right now we're getting there right now for some ministers watch out on this podcast, I hope to have other people do interviews because I've been hearing the same thing from different pastors and leaders that are in my network, and I may get one of them on, one of him on. But we'll see in time. But the idea is when we look at our perspective of theology, it's so different, and I call this, I've named it on certain blogs, I name it 
to the Christian, the TV media affected Christ follower, the TV affected ministry. We don't really think, we just tune in and then we make our assumption. We don't really evaluate it based on being a noble Berean. We need to go and get research. And then we just take it and add our own stuff and our own Hollywood, our own theatrics, our own, you know, what we got at home, even racism, accusation, because we think it's okay. Because we've never researched the Bible for ourselves, noble Berean style. So I come across that at grassroots, and that's why I'm frank about it, because you got to talk tough. you got to talk plain, not mean, but you got to talk straightforward, or they will not get it. They are confused. They are caustic. Their family life maybe was primitive. Then they met the Lord. Then they saw TV ministers, and they got showbiz in there. So we are for all kinds, whether you had caustic upbringing or not, Jesus can heal you, but you need to be healed. So I will talk doctrine to the Christian. I believe the Lord is really calling me now to be the evangelist. In the last few weeks, I've had this like knowing I need to make an adjustment. What is it? And he says, I want you to go out and speak in the field to churches and travel the nation. I want you to get that new van or that new place that you can live in as well as uh, travel far in and won't break down and uh, take a companion and then go be the evangelist. I said, to whom? He said, to the Christian. You need to go to the born-again, ye must be born-again Christians in ministry and leadership and lay around the nation and really preach the gospel. What is it? What is organic without human-added mixture? Hey, maybe some of mine, but here we're going to do, we're going to say, you know, I don't know it all. I've not seen it all. Thank God. I want to hear what you've got to say, but I'm going to say, I'm going to bounce that tennis ball into your court, and if the shoe fits, only if the shoe fits, should any of you wear it. When you go out into the everyday Christ-following field and you say people that represent the ambassadors of Christ, Jesus Christ, as pastors and leaders in smaller churches, hundreds and hundreds, and you find out there's no, there's barely, like what, barely uh, 80% that have the fear of the Lord, that have empathy and compassion, and that are not compassion-fatigued Eli High Priesthood, and in it for the money or the blessing, Listen, I'm going to submit it. I've got to close soon, but let me put Eli, first chapter Samuel. Hophni and Phinehas were tolerated and allowed by the head high priest, the patriarch Eli. He was probably too tired. They were his sons. They Maybe they controlled him, but he tolerated that they slept with the women that came to the temple. He tolerated that they put pressure on the people for offering, and then they consumed the offering themselves and had other people help them do it. So you may read it and weep, and then read the whole first five chapters. You'll find a lone prophet who was not famous came up and warned the high priest and gave him the solemn word, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed from the nation of Israel. You will die and nobody will be in your place. And sure enough, Eli keeled over because he heard that both his sons had been killed off by the Lord and he died. Hate to be a harbinger, but you know, it's time to wake up. Let's pray on that. I put it to prayer. Be a noble Berean. See if it's true. This is Tevo Diarcy of Tevo Creative Leadership. And if you want to email and uh, donate through PayPal to DFWLeader. Excuse me, DFW. 
DFW Leader Ministry Fellowship, excuse me. Uh, we're online, but we're going to be on land. We need to be on land. But you can email to dfwleader at gmail.com. That's our PayPal and correspondence. And ask questions, write us comments, and send a prayer request. God is using females. He's using males. He's using people, human beings, and that's how I see it. This is a human ministry to the humans. I'm sent like Paul was to the slacks wearers. I'm sent to the slacks wearers like Paul to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews. Anyway, that's enough for now. God bless you. Have a great day. DFWleader at gmail.com. God loves you. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. This is Tavo DRC. Greetings from Tavo Creative Leadership. Also, we're at the home of DFW Leader Ministry Fellowship, and you can visit us onlinefellowship.us. You know, we've been out in the body of Christ, out in ministry, really all my life, and I've never seen it the way it is right now in the last 30 years, the last seven years, and the last three years. And I can go back in my life from my home life with a pastor's family. I was the firstborn daughter, and it was a peaceful, harmonious, nothing flashy, nothing famous, just a low-key, and my parents also taught school. I guess the only bane of my existence during that time was when my grandmother, my father's mother, would come on, and she would commandeer, she would help babysit my sister and myself, I was the firstborn. My sister is eight years younger. And she would babysit and then sort of commandeer the household to let my parents work. And she was the, uh, I guess, the strong-willed dominator person. But she had, she's very loving and she was a Christian. She just didn't know it. She'd been raised, I think, one of nine. I remember her feet. I can remember my father's mother's feet, they were misshapen. She called them, I don't know, they're just sort of curved at the toes because she had, oh, hammer toes, that's what it was, uh, because she was one of nine and she inherited shoes back then. They were country doctors, but still everybody wasn't like all the full of the material possessions we have in these days. That was many decades ago. But anyway, so my grandmother would come, and then my other grandmother was my mother's mother, a prayer warrior we called Boo. And Boo was, when we, when I really knew her, got to know her, she came to live with our family when we were in Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Beach. And she was more crippled, but she, you know, was older in her 80s. But people wrote to her for prayer. And she would go down the hall, and she was one of my encouragers, uh, even though I didn't want to hear it at the time, I knew she was praying for me, and I didn't want to be prayed for. I knew my parents, I was outnumbered. Everybody prayed for me. They were loving. And she would say, because I was shy, very shy, and especially when you're a teenager, I was five foot nine. I never thought about being tall till one day I was waiting for class, and this fellow friend in my high school looked up, and she said, boy, I didn't know you were so tall. And it hit me. And, you know, I didn't realize it. But, you know, nowadays people are so much taller than that. They have so much confidence. They wear big heels and everything. I'm proud of them. But anyway, back then, that was just one of my wrestlings. Everybody's got something. Many things or none or a lot. Most people have a lot of things. So my grandmother, Boo, she had a ministry. They didn't call it a ministry, but people wrote to her for prayer. She helped the poor. She taught Bible school and all these different things. Bible studies to the children uh, in her home when she was younger. 
Anyway, so she would say something, she'd quote poetry, and she would say to me as I came down feeling shy, or, and, you know, she would say, daughter of the gods, tall and divinely fair. And I knew my grandmother was, you know, trying to build me up. So I had good things, and I had some things that were not good, and, and yet I never had violence. My father was not an accuser. He was very respectful. He never demeaned my mother. They had a great time. We played. And I remember nothing really about the ministry except our home life was great. Later on, I did have intense verbal abuse, just some really tough times, but it helped me to have a great dad. That's why parenting is so important. That's why leadership that doesn't accuse, whether you're a single parent or authority of any kind, it's better to assess and respect and confront politely like God did Adam in the garden when he sinned grievously. He never went over and Adam sinned and screamed at him, lectured him, beat him down, told him he's going to burn in hell forever, threatened him, gave him the silent treatment. No, nothing like that. He didn't manipulate God. Uh, God didn't manipulate Adam. He was a great father, a great God, a great leader, a mature hero role model. He went over there and confronted Adam. He said, Adam, where are you in Genesis 3? And Adam could have risen up, manned up, I guess, humaned up and said, well, you know, this happened on my watch. Eve was deceived, but I willfully participate. I could have said no, but I didn't. Instead, that's what happened. The human race started to configure and dodge and try to outwit everybody else and uh, try to get away with things, manipulate even God. So there's nothing that is so shocking under the sun because that's just part of life. We just have to grow up. And once we grow up, we want to adult, be the adult and the mature adult so that we can assess if somebody does something wrong, very horrible. And if they're that bad, you need to confront them respectfully or report them. And if you're that bad, you need to get help. I know people that have been raised so violently that when they didn't even realize that they cussed that bad or cussing somebody else, it was because in their hard drive, they had all the hurt, the pain. It wasn't a pure upbringing. But once they identified that they did lose their temper with their child, their stepchild, themselves, their family at work, go ballistic, have rage issues where they could really almost want to chase after and kill somebody, then, you know, that's a big deal. But unless they go for help or want to go to the doctor, even maybe it's medical, you can have medical issues, or you want to get counsel, you want to get delivered, you want to get healed, you want to go to God, you got to do something. That's your choice. That's like Adam. Adam could have risen up and manned up, humid up, humaned up, or he could have hid and ducked and avoided or blame shifted, accuser blame shifted onto somebody else, which is what Adam did. You may read about all the relationships. These are pearls. These are pearls. The relationships in the garden during during the time of <clears throat> excuse me, during the time of Genesis three, but then if you want to isolate before Genesis 3, read the relationships, and after, because then it gets worse. There's murder in the next generation. All the fear comes on the scene, all the curses of the you know punishment they brought on themselves, and then God has to set up the law. He has to set up. That's why he does the Ten Commandments. That's why he does to give people respect for each other, for society, a fear of getting penalties, a fear of God, 
and they start to set up the law which works for that time in history for the Jewish people, the Levitical law. And yet a lot of people today that are in the Christian community, you must be born again community, still have not studied their Bible, taken time out to really analyze what is it that we believe about accusation, about name calling, about people that are naming names of famous ministries from their pulpit, criticizing them. Uh, These are born-again people. These are not usually dark-skinned people, I notice, because I'll be honest, let me tell you my story. There is such a thing as reproving, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. The Bible is profitable, it says. God's word is profitable for doctrine. That means what you make your conscience on, your decisions on, the infrastructure of your moral life your choices, that the Bible is profitable for doctrine, for instruction, and for correction, so that, verse 17, the man or woman of God is thoroughly furnished and uh, for every good work. I want to look around. Is everybody thoroughly furnished right now? Are you? Am I? I'm not. So I'm letting God work on me. But the idea is when we dis- discuss ministry or Christian, being a Christian, and the born-again Christian, because there's so much affecting our communities at the grassroots where I work for the Lord. Out as a USA missionary, uh, a missionary in the front lines, a battlefield, and sometimes it's a broken, bleeding battlefield because people have been run roughshod over through their life as a kid, criticized, or as a grown-up, a teenager, an unwed mother, or somebody's had trouble, addictions, or whatever. They've been roughed up verbally or accused or name-called because of their identity or their choices by some kind of Christian. And I'm talking to the Christian community. I'm not talking to the non-believer, you know, people who don't love Jesus or don't want Him as their Savior. You're welcome to listen But I'm thinking, you know, if we don't get our act right, our hearts right, then God's not going to move within our midst. We won't be a good witness. And all these people think Jesus accuses. That's my point. That Jesus name calls, that he's a homophobe, that he's a a chauvinist, that he's a backbiter and a critic. And, you know, I wasn't raised with Christians like that, but it turns out I'm meeting the generation of lost leaders out in the Barista Fellowships where I've gone in many years, and they're in their 20s and 40s and 30s, and they used to be, let's say, a Baptist, or used to be a Christian, but then they turned to pagan tarot cards, alternate lifestyles, because they were hurt. And I have a friend now who's in his 70s that I think is a wonderful, God-called, gifted person, but even though his mother took him to church, he... Man, I've never met somebody so Buddhist in my life. Now, you know what? I respect everyone I may say about this kind or that, but I respect everybody who is not lukewarm. And what I really thrill about, and I'm thriving at, that I'm with the, at the Barista Fellowships or out on the grassroots turf, you find all these people who are gung-ho for their choices, whether they are gay or straight. Really, the gays are the, I mean, they're gung-ho. They're not ashamed. You meet the Buddhist, you meet the Hindu, you meet the pagan, you meet the tarot card, you meet the lesbian, which I do, and I know these people, a lot of them, and I think, you know what, I am not angry with them. I am really, frankly, pretty relieved. I get pretty calm. I think, man, at least I know where they stand. They have their right to say and believe what they want, and I'm going to let them 
and I'm going to respect them because God loves them and they haven't been respected before by a lot of these preachers or a lot of these family members that say they were a Christian in the must-be-born-again community. Yeah, no, I'm pretty strong. I'm pretty tough on the born-again community, but you know what? You've got the airwaves. You've had them for 30 years, 25. I've been around before, and I've been around during, and I'm around after, and I think the showmanship and the charlatanship and then the local tough customer who says they're a Christian and is a Bible beatdown artist, man, those are the worst nightmares. And if you are a where I used to live, <clears throat> see, I'm from, ironically, my father and mother were not country, but we ministered in the country, ministered deep grassroots, and they're more intellectual, they're you know, intellectual. And now every I still go, my my birthing of the ministry started in a rural area that was a and not a metroplex. Yet I lived in Norfolk, Virginia, and I live in Dallas, Fort Worth, and I love all of the different levels of life. But I'm more comfortable with people who are just themselves, and I'm comfortable at grassroots. I've never been in mega in the famous showbiz. In fact, that's my opposite nature. I'm trying to be real. I remember my dad would walk and take me with him to the grocery store when I was little in a little town where we had our church and he would just talk to people and he'd be nice to people and they would tell him his problems, the cashier, and they'd chat with people and give him time. He wasn't in a hurry, wasn't checking his watch and his pulse didn't go up. If somebody asked him a question, he respected males and females and this was mostly white. But you know, when I grew up, it started, it was right around the racial tensions and the civil rights marches. And one day my mother, my grandmother, the strong-willed one, bossy one, came to town and she was really loving, you know, she meant well. So we went to, I think, city of Richmond to get away from the area where we lived in Ashland. And we went to a, my first time, I remember five years old, four or five, and I could read. And I saw these signs and it said, black only, white only water fountains, black only, white only restrooms. And I was shocked. It really, in my little spirit, it bothered me. It really bothered me. Since that time, I've really been involved in taking a stand against bias and racism. I was in racial healing, reconciliation, prayer and repentance for revival with pastors for a year before moving out here. I've written on it. I've stood up for it. I teach against it all bias. And I think everybody needs to be very careful. If you are a Christian leader and you're born again or not, you need to be very careful what you say and how you say it to all kinds of people. We live in a different age. It's very global. People are watching on TV and on their cell phones. And when I've met people, God has sent me, he's used me with all kinds, Arab, Muslims, Vietnamese, Jewish all these people, which I, because you know what? I don't get upset by them. I, I look at them as like, man, God made these people. I wonder what happened to them before I met them. That's really what I think. When I see somebody who's on their soapbox for one cause, whether I agree with it or not, liberal or Democrat or Republican or whatever, I'm not religious right because I know how bad that is to some people in their past. So when I look at everybody who comes to me in front of me, white or black, green or purple, cast down, dressed up, not dressed up, long hair, piercings, whatever, tattoos, I don't go by that. 
Paul said himself, I'm not going to be moved by their outer court. I'm not going to be moved by anything but Christ and him crucified. That's really what he said. And I started thinking about racism back in the 80s. And I made a choice to go not by their look and their earth suit, but instead, who are they from the inside out? Help me, Lord, discern. And if they're nasty, I move away. If they're born again and nasty, I'll move away from them too. Because there's a bunch of nasty people in every kind of group of race and belief system, whether they're your kind or mine, moral or not. There's somebody mean and snappish and dominating and bossy and ugly in every group, males or females. And then there are people that are not. And I think we need to get over the stereotype that there are people that are you know, if they come from a different faith than Christian, that they are not nice, that they're mean. Because you see it on TV or you, you know, you believe the TV or stereoport were not moved. If you know faith, I preach like, to Christians with faith that have the faith movement sometimes. You got to use that principle about race. Faith in the word of faith teaching says we're not to be moved. The Bible means don't be moved by anything by your feelings, by the appearance of anybody, by what it looks like. You only are moved by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I believe that. So you can translate that over to when you meet somebody and they're of a different race, a different lifestyle, a different appearance, or they're overweight, underweight, whatever, and then you have maybe a thousand piercings or whatever. You're not moved. I'm not moved by it because I've practiced for 30 years not being moved but i'm listening to the holy spirit how does the lord say about this person should i befriend them uh do i feel something that's unsafe about them therefore i'm having to break it down god wants me to speak about james three seventeen, which is the relationship theology you can look at relationshiptheology.org it means how did Jesus act when he was alive on the earth in ministry and real life with his mother Mary personally. You can read how he acted and reacted to every relationship written about him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then just act like Jesus. It's simple and you'll have great relationships and the society will improve and the Christians will not be known as accusers. So James 3.17 is an abiding, you know, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, temperance, that means self-control, self-government, and against there is no law. That's Galatians 5, 22, 23, Apostle Paul. Well, then we want to add also, because they're mentioned in James three seventeen, abiding, enduring, even under pressure and attack, warfare, if you can, with God's help, relationship fruit, which says it models above. That means God. The wisdom that comes from above, it says, this is our fruit that you would watch for, not their painted fingernails or their painted lips or whatever some people would call Jezebels. All right. Historically, we're going to say that James 3.17 says that any wisdom that comes from above, that means any kind of wisdom or actions that say they represent above, which is God, holy God, fear of the Lord, has got to be this. Any wisdom that comes from above is, first of all, pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Easily entreated means it's not stubborn, it won't get into a fight, won't try to control, won't try to back off and get its way by being this hard-hearted, silent treatment, and it's respectful. 
It says it's full of mercy and good fruits. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. So let's go to James 3.17, Abiding Relationship Theology. Well, this is part of my, you know, ongoing, I guess, mantra, soapbox, you know, whatever it is. It is not emotionalism. It is zeal for the Father's house. Zeal for the Father's name in this day and age when there's so much bias, so much abuse, so many hard daddies and step-parents and step-mamas and mamas, and so much fear and no fear of the Lord. So we want to go not by sight. You know, the Bible says this move of God is going to be not by might, not by power, but by the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's true. Pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus wrote or spoke in the Beatitudes. In me. All right. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. I believe that means God's going to let you see him and perceive him more easily. You're going to get to see him watch and move on your behalf. You'll be able to discern him better because your heart is not polluted. It's not a critic. It's not a big judge accuser of everybody. There is such a thing as assessing and judging behavior, assessing and judging fruit Pure fruit or not fruit, watch out for that. But when it comes to haranguing, disrespecting, demeaning, uh, trying to put somebody down or, or accuse them based on the old Levitical law, such as, and you can read, online fellowship. If you look at onlinefellowship.us, I put a whole list of a PDF you can download with all the different ways we can avoid being back under the law, which is Levitical rhymes with critical for the Christian in these days. The accuser of the brethren is cast down already. Read that story for yourself. Revelation 12, 7 through 11. That's a big one to teach on. All right. The other part is if you look at people and you're saying as a minister, as a Christian in the born again community, they're church hoppers. They're not submitted to a local pastor. I've heard this. I've had this done. I've seen it done to many others, too many to count in many states. That's why I teach on it. They are Jezebels. Have you ever talked to them? No, but they look like it. Did they do anything? Did they act out? No, we just know it. We just know it because we're prophets. That's the type of thing that we do not need at this moment, at this hour. I'd really ask you to pray and out of love, search your own. All right, up on the... Up on onlinefellowship.us, common doctrine, Ephesians 4, common doctrine for the first church was one Lord, one faith, one baptism, when God the Father of us all, level of criteria for being a real Christian. The ones that Paul writes about are still, God holds you and me accountable, but he knows we are human. He knows there are such things as besetting sins. He's merciful and he will deal with you in your relationship. If you're pure hearted, he'll give you time. And if you fall down seven times, he'll forgive you. But everyone will have their own pet sin. Everybody will have, I'll have mine, you'll have yours. But we don't keep nosy, busybody tabs on them. And that's what really brought it out because I lived in a very small region before Texas where everybody seemed to want to know, they deserved to know, they demanded to know who everybody was under in that part of the area in certain kinds of crowds that believe that doctrine. I don't. I teach now so much about this, minding your business, respect for all people, 
uh, make sure you're not back under the law because of that, really. And then I saw it in other states, not just, but also Texas, some, some places, not as much. That critical spirit, critical Levitical, because they just thought everybody had to be under them or that they had to be back under the law. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not jump people in public. Thou shalt not berate people and call them out of order. If you've never talked to them, you don't even know their name. I've had that done to me. That's why I know more than once. As a tall person, I don't know, but it was never in a dark-skinned community. It was never in a evangelical. It was never in Catholic. It was only, it was never in a, it was never in a Baptist. It, it was never in anything but a certain kind that believe a certain way. So we're putting it out there. I teach on WELP, Western European Levitical Patriarchism, which is the same thing as shepherding, overseer shepherding. That crowd runs with that as well. So let's look through our heart. Let's meditate on God's word. Let's read Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and decide how he acted and reacted in every relationship, even with the fallen woman. The woman that Jesus, even when Jesus went and he talked to the lady with several husbands and his disciples come up and see the Messiah standing there talking to a sin-laden woman with lust devils all over her, as some would say. They had pure hearts. They were no guile disciples. Nobody accused Jesus and shamed him and said, let Jesus, let not your good be spoken evil of. You're going to embarrass our whole crowd. You're a single man and this lady has got lust. Everybody's going to think you're, you know what? So anyway, that's how the turf is. I've been around it. You know what? Thank God. I mean, really, I thank you, Lord, for my father, the pastor, who is not like that. But this is if we have a big movement and they have a big they have big many thousands and millions in their movement. This is at least should stir some of them up to get right with the Lord. Repent. But I also want to honor. Let me say this. I honor and I meant to start off with it so that you'd catch me being positive. I honor my father and mother and my relatives who were ministers and family. Some spoke in tongues after I was grown up when all, you know, nobody knew a Pentecostal or charismatic. There wasn't such a thing in our network till later, but no one had a bias against them. You know what? We turned out to be partaking of the movement, <laughs> but not some of that stuff. Just we like the Holy Spirit and the Lord, but not back under the law types. But I honor the parents of the my parents and grandparents and extended relatives who are not bigots and biased and Bible beat down artists. I really appreciate that because I didn't grow up with it in my hard drive. I thank God and for my good sister as well. I also want to thank God for the great pioneering moves that came before my move, your move, our moves, all through history, before my dad's move, all the ones that come down from all the pioneering leaders where they had faith, where they had worship, where they had teaching on Pentecost, where they had teaching on doctrines of family, of fear of the Lord, of repentance, of revival, whatever it is. We're just very grateful that you came before us and we could stand on your shoulders with God's grace. I was fellowshipping over in Denton with some descendants of John Wesley, and I had not. I had an emergency, and they helped me out, and they comforted me and got my stuff back from the Lord's office that was taken in Denton, and I just needed a vacation or really depart from the area, and I would attend their church for a long time. 
And I was so thrilled to get away from some of these doctrines that I'd been around. Big I, little you, they didn't have that. And I thought, see, this is why we want to know the body. The mature body where they're emotionally healthy, whether they believe exactly 100% or not, whether they are in Denton or any other place in Missouri or California, find the ones that are wholesome and healthy. And if you are one, like I, like I said, my mother received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So did my sister, but my dad did not. He never spoke in tongues. But they still got along because, you know what, you can go to a church with your family. I wish it were taught when I was growing up, you know, when I got married and had children. It was not. It's like you can only go to one church. You only go to one church or you're a church hopper in rebellion. That was what the big talk was at the grassroots. And so, you know, I'm trying to please everybody. My heart was trying to please. This is the doctrine. I'm not the elder minister at the time. And it was confusing. But now I say, you go with the husband and let the husband lead. If you're married, if, if the husband has a choice, you know, wants to lead, enjoy the leading and take the children, do well by the family, but then find another place where you can go off and get your vitamin supplement, the Holy Spirit or better teaching or whatever it would be, worship or whatever it is. Worship is like therapy to me. And you can, it'll help you get past a lot of terrible, stressful things if you know how to do it well and not get with flaky people. Well, I guess I better go. This is getting more than a podcast. This is going to be a broadcast. So I'm going to quit right now. This is Tavo D'Arcy of Tavo Creative Leadership. Say a prayer for us, please, for our funding. We are not asking for money. We're asking God to provide for the relationship ministry to have more items returned that were brought. Our keyboard was lost. We want to have an upgrade so I can get out on the highways and byways and minister, be an evangelist to the Christian community, and and then also upgrade our car. And then I like to spend time. I want to spend time with the homeless out on the front lines, trying to get fundraising, not now, but when I can for the car dwellers age 55 and older and get other people stirred up so they want to do it in their community. You can do it without talking to me. Just go for it. Find somebody that lives in their car that is qualifying, not addicted, not going to get drunk and bash the car in, you know, or drugged, chemically dependent or something that would be unsafe, but find people that are wonderful, but they've just fallen on hard times. So our goal is that we have many things to do, but tune in to onlinefellowship.us as a resource when you want to. If you want to try our wilder side, well, you're really it's all pretty wild right now. It's sort of tame where I live. dfwleader.org, and that leads to other blogs as well. But look for our PDF on common doctrine and then see how much is religion under the law and how much is freedom in Christ where you live, and then be a noble Berean. Check it once. I have some things on the podcast. I have a new podcast through uh, all these different ones. You can see on Online Fellowship where they are. I'm right now starting it, putting it out on different ones like Podbean and hopefully iTunes and different ones, Anchor as well. But we're going to have our podcast and I'm teaching on God Speaks Once, God Speaks Twice, Once in a Vision, When Man is Asleep, He Has to Go Past the Pride, Excuse me, Job 33. Read those scriptures. Those are amazing and get God to really see you so that he doesn't have to wait till you're asleep. And when we're all, you know, our heart, everybody's got a human heart. 
as old Bruce Springsteen would say, everybody's got a hungry heart, but a lot of people don't know it. And God wants to speak more clearly and he'll do it. But sometimes we're not listening or don't care or don't know we can hear. And I love to teach on discernment, direction, hearing God clearly. And that's usually my focus. But right now, this is emergency. This is urgent times. There's too much weirdness in the name of Jesus Christ, too much accusation, too much frustration. People are leaving in droves. As you see the headlines, they're not wanting to go anywhere. And I've been in their midst. I mean, I'm, I was like, that's why online fellowship was there. That's why the online church is going on because people are thirsty for the word. They want to know God. They want to low love. But they just don't want to stand it with the other Christ followers. If I were you and a pastor, I'd tell people that the worst new believer, I'd tell the new believers, tell the church right now. I'm telling you now for myself to tell, <laughs> to tell you. You know what? It's great to know Jesus, but one of the biggest tests you're going to get that's going to want to make you quit Jesus is to blame it on your mama, the old man in the Sunday school class, your neighbor who's a, who says they're the Christian and then do something nasty to you or ugly. When I came and found the lay of the land, the turf, the lake of fire, which in the area I used to be in Dallas area, certain parts of the doctrinal area. And I met this British lady at the, she worked in one of the places I went where I worked out, exercised. And the British lady was my friend and she was proud of herself. She said, you know, I came over and I moved into the area and we don't go to church. We're like new age or whatever they believe. She says, we don't go to church. Well, this neighbor comes out, our brand new neighbor comes over and she's very Miss Christian. She says, oh, and where do you go to church? And the lady was proud. She hadn't gone to church in 200 years in her family or something huge. (laughs) And that lady quit, turned her back and left. That lady, as soon as she didn't, the Christianese didn't work. Oh, and what church do you go to? We don't go to church. Oh, and she left and never spoke to that lady again. Now, that is exactly the turf I walk upon. God has sent me to this turf. And that's why I'm talking not to the not to the denominational, really. There could be. I'm sure there are. So I'm going to say everybody. But I'm going to say in people that think you're going to invite people to be your Savior, Jesus as your Savior, and you're not the real deal, then that's what turns them off. That's what turns me off. And that's why we have a lot of doctrine about this to say. Anyway, God is good. His mercy endures. There's so many good people. Let's just get, you know, if I could do a series, get everybody whipped and scared to really, you know, want to love people and really scared to be a bigot and to be biased and to be show offs, whether you're cosmopolitan or rural or some South Sea desert island, then that's worth it. And then I'll change back to discernment, joy, worship, having fun, bless me. No, no, we'll all. <laughs> but anyway, so that's it. So it's like Jesus, you know, Christ went over. He wasn't. This is the, another thing. One of the kinds of people in this population, when I got ripped off once uh, earlier years ago, when McKinney, when Denton, that was another time. But when I got ripped off, when I first didn't know that, you couldn't trust half of the Christians out here, three-fourths, two-thirds maybe, at the places I was meeting them. I had to confront, like it says in Matthew eighteen 
15 through 17, it says, if somebody sins, go confront them. You don't yell at them like, just like Adam and Eve, when God confronted them in Genesis three. So I made a phone call, tried to get my keyboard back and they hid. So the Bible says, if they don't respond, you take somebody. So I went after that and I went to their oversight. They were ministers in a famous group, in a, in a group. So I went and I called and I said, this person did that. They took a over a thousand dollar item. They will not give it back. I loaned it to them. They didn't give it back and I would like to get it. It's, you know, tent maker stuff. So I called the oversight and they wrote me back an email and I'll never forget it. It said, you need to forgive them. You're not being sweet like baby Jesus. And they were tired. They were hasty. They wanted to palm it off, of course. But I was like a widow. I just lost my family, you know, and that was a big deal to me. And it was like, a, and the Lord said, do not take it personally. You are not to take it personally. They have no fear of the Lord. And also you're seeing what I see prophetically. I'm showing you things now that are not fun or pleasant, but they are prophetic things because I see them. So this is why we go on this long, you know, talk about it because we are concerned for the reputation of Jesus and that many people have left the church and many young people are not wanting to go to church right now and suicides getting bigger and bigger and people I know are, you know, it's just horrible. So we want to go to the Christian and say, it is your choice, but can you pray about it and assess yourself? We want resurrection in the body of Christ. I'm talking a real resurrection of real respect, no bias, no me-centric focus, no we are the world, Western European Levitical patriarchism or matriarchism anywhere, and no bias from whether you're black, you know, I'm going to say this because I, I should. Most of the press, most of you are aware that there is bias in the white church a lot of places. Some places there is. But one time I had this little board member prophetic lady who's like 98 pounds and her she told me a tale very dainty little respectful business lady in her 70s and she had a sister dying brother-in-law were dying she was nursing both of them and was far off visiting them and one day she went just had to get away and wanted to go to church this is like eight years ago in texas and so she went to this church and she had a black pastor. She was an African pastor. She was black. You know, she was white, but she went to any, any color that was anointed. And that's how I believe. So she goes to visit and it turns out they're all black. Well, she goes in real pale, you know, white haired and tiny little thing, frail. Well, some deacon comes over and heads her off at the parking lot and says, I'm sorry, ma'am. This is only for black people. <laughs> And it was terrible. It's a sad thing because she was needing the Lord and she was not biased. But it's also healthy for the white people. Some of you white Western European white earth suited persons because you've heard too much how bad you all are and mean all the time. So we're going to be impartial. I usually find that when I'm with, because I have a global, I'm not we-centric, I'm we-global. That means more global. People like me from Africa and all the nations I'm an apostle to the nations, even though I'm in this nation. I'm apostle to the Christians <laughs> as well. But the point is that I find that people who are not 
we centric that are really global or dark skin, tan skin like me a lot. Other nations love me. They discern me. And I think it's because I'm not biased and they'll pick it up. They know once they've been around and anybody's been abused or accused, white or black or any color, you will probably get this. Once you've been abused or accused, once you've been beaten or oppressed or had prejudice or racial bias or gender bias, you will know it and your spirit man will pick it up because you are watching. God gave that as a protection so it won't happen again. So if they, people who think they don't know what you're, people who have had bigotry, if you're biased, they will know it. Because I know it if I have bias. I've had chauvinism against me. I've had gender bias in the Deep South that I never had in my family or knew existed until I came down here. So therefore it got me to think, well, if I feel it and I'm a calm, average looking person, happen to be white, but I wasn't their style. And these are Christians. You know, it's never been a non-Christian. It's never been a person who's done this that was... There has never been anyone that has done violence or perpetrated or attacked me or tried to assault me or tried to ruin my name that was dark-skinned and a non-Christian. I looked at it one day. I thought, what is the common factor I can look back when I see people have, you know, ruined my name or jumped me in public? It's It's been a Christian <laughs> or cursed me out or stole my stuff or took the piano... It's been a Christian. These are Christians, but they were off. And are they really Christians? But I look at them and I think the common factor when there's been violence or anybody mean, demeaning, they needed money. These were not dark skinned and everyone that has been impolite and disrespectful, the only ones have needed money. They were under, they were pressured for money. I think, let us talk about relationships with God. Let us talk about real life. Let us talk about the relationship with money must be the root of all evil. The relationship with money. Well, I could go on and on and on, but I'm not. We'll do another podcast another day. God bless you. But you know what? I'm trying hard not to be religious, and I'm not always right. We're not going to be political because both sides need help. I need help. You need help. Preachers need help. Teachers need help. Evangelists need help. Because we're human and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Let us let God move on us. Let us invite God to move on us and within us and just remove us from ourselves. Give give us more strength and more grace to persevere, to be loving, to feel young, and to have grace to give grace to others. Help. God is good. Jesus Christ, the picture of Jesus Christ for ministry, for prophecy, for apostles and pastors and parents and lay. It says, Jesus Christ went about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed by the devil and the Lord was with him. That is Acts 10:38, along with Jesus in abiding relationships in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when he was alive in ministry with his mother, with his friends, with his family, his half-brothers and sisters, around town, the Romans, the sinners, the fallen people, the hurt people. All right, James 3.17, any wisdom that says it's from above, that claims to be the God, Lord, 
has got to be, first of all, pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is Tevo D'Arcy from Tevo Creative Leadership and DFW Leader Online Ministry Fellowship, signing off. God bless you and have a great day. God is good.